The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. This is Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. This podcast has told stories about me. Horrible stories. But they don't realize I have scary stories of my own. We are talking about scary stories to tell in the dark. The uh, hot summer horror hit that is doing pretty well in the box office. That intro really gave me like campfire feels. Um, I don't know about you, but these stories were very ubiquitous in my youth, and it's very mm-hmm. nostalgia-promoting. It's great. Oh, absolutely. I, I distinctly remember those books from uh, elementary school, you know, seeing them float around a classroom, uh, you know, in probably fourth, fifth grade mostly. And yeah, they. I remember they were very popular copies that the school library had, you know, in my elementary school really just were probably just, you know, tattered from how many times they were read and reread and shared. And I don't know about you, but for me, the images from those stuck with me even more than the stories did. Well, and I think it's kind of cool, too, that not only scary stories to tell in the dark, but the 90s were pretty potent as far as kind of scary stories go we have this we had goosebumps we had are you afraid of the dark that classic nickelodeon show which is having a comeback soon uh, yeah i'm excited for that as well so yeah it, it, there's a lot of nostalgia behind this movie and i think that helped and hurt it a little bit in some regards and we'll kind of get to that later on but like you mentioned these stories were pretty much everywhere growing up for me as well they were kind of the edgier dark version of goosebumps and and really like you mentioned the pictures are very creepy and unsettling almost more so than the actual stories yeah and and i mean i think we should get into the specifics of the books in it uh, a little bit later on in the podcast uh, but i guess before we do that i, I just kind of want to talk about the movie and and then kind of go from there What's that? It's a book of scary stories. Tell me a story. Hey, what's going on? Tommy's missing. Tommy's name was in the book. There's no way it's actually connected, right? Okay, what if what happens in the book is exactly what's happened for real? So, we saw the movie, what was it, last... Thursday, about yeah, a week from today, night. and the theater was pretty pretty packed. I was relatively impressed for an opening night for this kind of a movie, yeah, especially it, in like August. Yeah, and I would say it's mostly you know a lot of a lot of teenagers. I mean, it's I feel like this this movie was definitely you know trying to target that you know sort of teenage horror audience, and you know it's a PG thirteen movie, a good weekend for some fun summer scares before everyone has to go back to school. So so yeah, I don't know. I I think it was just a good time and everyone was out and it i don't know i, I felt like our audience that, that we saw it with received it pretty well and i i don't know about you but for me this movie had a huge hype factor to it oh yeah uh, I, people at work were talking about it 
other friends were talking about it. My family was talking about it. I think we've kind of entered an era where a lot of us 90s kids are are really having almost a renaissance of our culture growing up. And yeah. this, I think, is a real big stepping stone to that. Uh, like we mentioned, Are You Afraid of the Dark is getting a revamp. This was getting a revamp. Two Goosebump movies have been made already. It feels like a lot of Hollywood right now is kind of playing to that 80s and now starting 90s nostalgia. And we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think it really boils down to, you know, these are the people who are starting to actually be making these films and making uh, this art. And, and you know, those who are, you know, millennials, yeah, like we, we want to represent our childhoods, not... You know, the childhood of the 60s with Stephen King, which, I mean, I, I guess kind of ends up being, a, in some ways, maybe a, a little bit of a flaw of this movie, but we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit as well. But, I mean, I feel like, yeah, we're, we're really living in an age where, you know, the 80s and now the, the 90s are, are really coming back. They're uh, informing a lot of the fads of, of teenagers today, even. They're, they're interested in you know, what was basically popular just before they were born, the decade before they were born. And so, so yeah, it's really interesting to see how our childhoods are now starting to make it to the screen. And I think that hype and that nostalgia, especially with this movie, almost weakened things a little bit. And we'll get into that. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was produced by the one, the only, the lovely Guillermo del Toro. And it was also partially written by him, it was, or he was one of the, the main uh, scriptwriters. So, and if you've listened to us in the past, you know that we basically worship that man. Yeah, I definitely big fan of, of Guillermo, particularly like with Pan's Labyrinth uh, more oh. than not anything else. But why yeah, haven't I, we done an episode about Pan's Labyrinth? That movie. Ugh. We we should remedy this very soon. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, so I mean, I, I feel like he's a very meticulous filmmaker who does a, a lot of good work. The movies that he produces, I, I'm kind of a lot more split on. He sometimes he backs really, really good movies uh, and kind of helps them, you know, raise up into the limelight more. Uh, the, an example comes to mind would be uh, The Orphanage, which is, in my opinion, just one of the best horror films ever made. Agreed. But then on the flip side, when he's a producer, sometimes, you know, we also have stuff like, oh, God, I can't remember the name of the movie. It was this terrible movie. It was like a remake. It had a bunch of, it was like Evil Tooth Fairies. Oh, that sounds horrible. I'm not even quite sure what that is. I will find it. In the meantime, Guillermo del Toro was a producer and writer, but Andre Avridal, I'm probably butchering the last name, was the director. Yes. And, oh, by the way, the movie I was referencing was Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. It's garbage. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Andre Over Overdahl is is a, I mean, I've, I've only really seen two of his movies, but I've, I really like those two movies. So the first one I saw by him was Troll Hunter, which I think is Ugh, fantastic. It's brilliant. And such an indie film. Not a whole lot of people know about Troll Hunter. And if you don't, go watch it on Netflix tonight. It's phenomenal. Yeah, especially if you're a fan of the found footage genre, it's just one of the best, like, surprisingly good found footage films. And, and you know, the plot is just around uh, some people who want to go and kind of explore the legends of trolls, and then they start stumbling upon them. And this is, of course, all set in, you know, 
Scandinavian countries, probably Norway or something. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen that. But uh, then the other film that he did uh, was The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which uh, we watched together, and I'd say we both quite enjoyed it. The end was a little wonky, but as a whole, it was a, it was a solid movie. Yeah, and again, another very... Uh, kind of unknown movie that had a really original plot to it that I thought is a very solid movie. And like you said, the, the ending isn't the best, but overall it held up really well. Yeah. Yeah. I, it had some really genuinely good scares in it. So, so again, all of this, you know, Guillermo del Toro producing and writing. We have Andre uh, again, the hype bubble for me, at least was huge. Um, yeah. I was very excited to see this movie. Uh, the trailers for me were horrifying. I thought they presented the material that I remembered as a child in an incredible way. It looked dark. It looked dreadful. It, it almost looked like that it level. Um, and by it, I mean the movie it where you were going to go in and these things from your childhood were going to horrify you and really, really terrify you. They were definitely smart trailers. Like they, they did a great job of having just very brief, like little snapshots of, of, of some of the you know biggest stories. Yeah. You know, and I think they, they first showed them during the Super Bowl, and yeah, they were all really solid, really, you know, great little, you know, hook you in. You have to go see this movie kind of things. And the, the bigger trailer, you know what? was a little bit less effective for me, but those little teeny, you know, teasers were just, yeah, I was, I was in, I, I honestly, you know, if you asked me at the start of the year, I, I was basically, you know, saying I am excited for us and I'm excited for scary stories to tell in the dark and I'm excited for Midsummer. <laughs> and well, I mean, it hasn't quite panned out as, as well as I wanted with, with those movies, but still I, I was all in uh, just on the little I knew about all of those. As was I. And so let's just dive in, talk about some of the good things about this movie. Um, for those of you who were not born in the 90s, <laughs> um, this movie is essentially a bunch of, I don't want to say it's an anthology film, because it's definitely not. Uh, a group of kids are getting bullied, they go to this haunted house, they find this spooky book, and this is a horrible plot summary because it's much more detailed, but essentially this ghost starts haunting these children in a very violent way. Yeah. So, so basically it's, you know, there's this, this story about this woman who was forced to live in the walls of, of her house by her family and she would tell children stories and then she allegedly murdered these children by poisoning them. And so now, you know, 50 years later or however much later it is, you know, they, they find her book of, of, of scary stories and then it starts writing new stories and, and bad things start happening to them. So, I really like that, you know, idea for, for tying all these stories together because, you know, the original books are just collections of, of short horror stories. You know, it's basically uh, a folklore collection more than anything. And so, yeah, I really love the idea that, you know, we had this overarching story and, you know, it was, it was interesting. Like it was a little tropey, but it, it tied together everything in a, in a way that felt much more, authentic to the the source material than a lot of other things that that have to do that that you know find some way to adapt a story that otherwise you know, just doesn't really fit in a film and I, I really appreciated some of the special effects there were a lot of moments that were very very authentic looking even though you could clearly tell it was cgi well i mean they did a lot of practical work they did and that was really incredible 
there were two moments where I was very unsettled and honestly very kind of scared. The missing toe story where, oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, Augie was kind of getting chased by this ghoul who was missing a toe and was hiding under his bed. How many horror movies have we seen in the world that, you know, kids are hiding under their bed and are afraid of what's kind of out there? And the scene, the music cuts, you can't see anything, the door creaks open and there's nothing there. Like, it's all very, very, very standard of what you would see in a hiding under the bed scene but something about it really unsettled me um and the final jump scare that happened was very well developed it was very warranted it was very authentic and it really got under my skin and that's when i was probably the most excited about the movie (laughs) yeah yeah i i really like that as well i really like the way that it kind of played with classic tropes but you know still had effective scares with it i mean because ultimately if you really look at at what scary stories to tell in the dark is you know it it's a it's a folklore collection it's it's the stories that that we've all heard over and over again you know the the couple making out and you know having finding the hook on the car door and stuff like that you know it's it's those kinds of stories you know the the vanishing hitchhiker i mean that that's what so much of it is and so yeah like it makes sense that that we would have things that are very familiar in this in this film i would say that there are certain points that you know could have been a little bit more original but like as a whole, I enjoyed it. And 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 going back to to the facts, like I thought that for example, Harold the Scarecrow looked awesome. Or same with the the Pale Lady, like looked great. It was it was great practical effect work with a little bit of CGI, you know, like to like put bugs on Harold's face or things like that. But yeah, like they they looked good. And I think we'll kind of get to the tropes a little bit later on because I. Th- I really do believe what you just said, that this kind of movie is uh, almost paying homage to a lot of those folklorics. Folkloric? I'm not sure if that's a word. If it isn't, then I just made it up. Those movies that are out there, those stories that have been told, and you really, I think, have to keep that in mind while you watch this movie. And as we'll get to it, like you mentioned, the tropes ended up, I think, overall hurting the integrity of the movie. But fortunately, some of those scares were really, really terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, The Red Room was awesome. This, like, morbidly obese, creepy-looking woman slowly walking towards you. All of the lights have turned red. Strobe lights are happening, and every hall you turn to, there she is getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And overall, it was almost suffocating to watch because you, it was just, they did such a good job with that. And again, the under the bed scene with Augie, the spider pimple I thought was really horrifying and gross because one, spiders, yeah, and two, who isn't afraid of spiders laying eggs inside you? Yeah, and it, it takes all of those things from, from childhood, you know, either a spider or like uh, earwig will you know lay eggs in your ear or something like that like that kind of thing is so familiar to everybody and so having that so like visceral on the screen was was great um and i also think that the child acting was really good mm-hmm. i don't know what is going in the waters out in hollywood but 
child acting lately, I feel like, has been blowing it out of the park. Yeah. We got the kids from Stranger Things. We have the kids from the It remake. And now we've got these kids. Like, uh, I don't remember growing up child acting being as good as it is now. And it's probably just because I didn't appreciate it. No, I I mean, I, I honestly think that there is a, a higher standard for it these days. You know, because, I mean, like, there are certainly movies that you see that you're like, oh, man, like, it's great, except for the kid sucks. But I, just the fact that, like, we have seen so many good examples lately says to me that there are more directors or, cast, or you know, casting directors specifically who are going under their way to make that a priority. I would agree. Um, the characters, again, were a little cliched, but the, the good acting helped their kind of identity holds stable i think for the movie yeah and and like i really like the main character stella like i thought she was great i thought ramon was pretty solid some of the 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 supporting cast you know augie and chuck yeah chuck they were okay but like as a whole pretty interesting characters to kind of compliment that i did think the plot was very intriguing like you mentioned a little bit earlier i think it's almost kind of a a love letter to horror authors all of these horrible stories in a sense coming to the light and becoming reality and i i was intrigued with the story they kind of gave you little bits and pieces it almost felt like a a mystery thriller in some regards the kids were discovering more and more of who this sarah was and why she was so tormented and then it as we'll get to it kind of fell apart at the end but I was intrigued. I did want to know more. I didn't feel like I was just sitting in the movie theater waiting for it to end at all. I was mm-hmm. on this, you know, quote unquote journey with these kids to try and figure out what was happening. Yeah. And and another thing I loved about like the story and just, you know, the things that happened in it is that there were real stakes. Like the, there was a real like danger to the things that were happening to them. So many horror movies, you know, targeted for, for teens or younger audiences they they take out the teeth in a lot of ways. Oh, something bad will happen, and then you know they all walk out at the end. This like it did have a hopeful ending. It did kind of suggest, hey, you know, I'm I'm gonna try to get them back. You know, the the ones that disappeared as the result of the stories. But like, there was definitely a feeling that like they might be dead. They might be gone permanently. They they were getting picked off one by one. And I think that kind of bridges us from the pros of the movie into the cons. Was there anything else you wanted to say that you really liked about the film? No, I think that kind of covered the main points. And so I guess, yeah, getting into the cons then, yeah, let's talk about uh, more about the plot and kind of how it ended up not 100% gelling for us. Well, I think you nailed it on the head just now is when you said that this movie is kind of created for teenagers. Um, And we can talk about it a little bit more. But as far as the trailer goes, everything I saw in my kind of research of the movie prior to actually watching it made me think that it was going to be that it level fear, these horrible images and this really intense, scary movie. And so I think my expectations were a little higher. And again, the nostalgia bomb was behind it. We had Guillermo del Toro. I was anticipating something that was going to really, really spook me. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun movie. I would say there were some genuinely good scares in it. But yeah, end of the day, it wasn't that scary. That's fine. It doesn't need to be like absolutely, totally terrifying. Because if it was, it probably wouldn't be you know quite as uh, 
it, it it wouldn't work for quite as well or uh, quite as big of an audience. You know, probably would have gotten a, a, a an R rating or something like that. And and I I think that it was definitely the right choice to make a PG thirteen film, but I did want it to be a little bit darker, a little bit scarier. And going back to the plot, um, again, we were both very intrigued with what was happening and the story that was being developed. And I think towards the end of the movie, they really kind of just forced a narrative on us without a ton of explanation, especially for Sarah's family. They treated her like an outcast. She had some sort of albinism um, and they were a very elite family in the city and they shunned her. They created this dungeon for her. And it, it, I don't it just wasn't there for me. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I didn't quite ever feel like I, I had a, a strong understanding of what their logic was for, you know, shoving her aside that hard. And also, like, you know, it, it also said that basically the family members were the ones who actually poisoned the kids that she was blamed for. And then they put her in a mental hospital and tortured her, basically, until she, you know, said that she did it. And so that kind of thing just... I don't know. I, I just didn't understand like why they would have bothered killing all of these kids when they could have just, you know, prevented the kids from going into their house when they were gone. Why all the hate? Why all the like shoving her in this weird closet other than social constraints and them not wanting to look weird or feeling embarrassed because of her? But but uh, like the thing is like like she was like known and so then putting her in the wall is even worse. So I don't know. It just to me it seems to, to be that if they wanted to kind of minimize the social stigma on them, the solution isn't to hide her in the wall. The solution is to, you know, have her live in the attic and, you know, not come out very much. And then where did all these supernatural powers come from? It, it didn't really explain that either, that more or less all of this negativity and abuse for lack of a better term kind of awakened these x-men powers in her like that made no sense to me at all at all i mean i think it was it was saying that like she didn't necessarily have like a, a magical source for the powers it's just that by sheer will of hatred she you know wrote stories about her family members and and then it came true and like i don't mind that as an explanation but yeah it is a little weak I, I mean, I don't mind that either. It just never really stated that. We had kind of this it, it weird... Did, it, it did with, like, the the old lady that they visited, but that was, like, such a throwaway scene otherwise. Yeah, and I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, that almost made me to believe that these nurses taught her black magic, but in reality, they didn't teach her black magic. She taught them the black magic. I, I don't know. I guess it wasn't coherently explained well enough for me to capture yeah, I honestly wonder if, if some of that maybe just kind of got lost uh, when they edited the film. Like, I wonder if, if you know, like a, an extended cut of the movie would be a little bit more cohesive story-wise. It was never so off that you're like, oh man, like this movie makes no sense. But it was just off enough that you're like, like there's just some pieces that don't quite gel. It's all there, but there are some connecting threads that are kind of critical that are missing. 
And I know you mentioned that one of your favorite parts were that a lot of these characters had very hard and harsh realities. You know, we were running against a clock and at the end of the day, it was death for a lot of these characters. And it was implied that they are not coming back. Yeah. But for me, it was a little weird again with the timing of those events i agree with you that i thought it was very well executed that the kids were dead and they were not coming back at all but it was so random and when the events happened like chuck had his hospital event in the middle of the day and then ramones was in the middle of the night it did sound like there was like a clear like every night it's going to happen to one of them but then they kind of threw that out the window about yeah halfway through yeah exactly and to pair that up a lot of the characters were very tropey. Our comedic relief character, Chuck, was almost in comedic relief mode 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Even when his sister, who had the spiders crawling all over her, was in the hospital and implied that she had gone insane, we kind of had some layers peeled back and saw some like vulnerability and some humanity to him. But then he patched that up real quick and was just kind of the quirky, snappy, comedic relief character. Like, it just... uh, I didn't like it. I feel like he was really rough at the beginning of the film. He did get better as it went on, but it still was a little bit much. But yeah, at the very beginning, though, I was just like, I don't even feel like he has a personality other than, you know, the silly one. Right. And even Augie, too. They had this weird... He was like ocd or obsessed with germs or something and it threw a lot at you in the beginning of the movie and then left a lot unexplained but we were still left with this character profile that we i don't know how to handle (laughs) yeah and i mean going back to kind of what the essence of the what the books are yeah like a lot of the characters really are that watered down or or, even more watered down I get the the reasoning of having, you know, characters that rely a lot on archetypes, but I wanted a few more unique characteristics with each one and and for them to not be necessarily their archetype 100% of the time. And yeah, definitely we had a little bit of that, but the the worst character by far was the bully. Oh, totally. Who was Literally, like, every stereotypical bully from, you know, that in, in anything set in the 60s especially, you know, from It, from Stand By Me, from you name it, it he was all of those, and it just, it was too much. I, I've never really been super convinced by that particular kind of portrayal of a bully. There's usually a little bit more subtlety or a little bit more, I don't know, nuance to the character than that in 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 real life i guess i should say not to the character he was just every stereotype crammed into one person and i don't know it just it didn't work for me because i'm like i i just don't believe him because he's so so radically an archetype it was too much for sure there was no sense of morality to him he was drunk at one point and his mother didn't care like i don't know it was weird. It was forced. It felt so fake and forced. Yeah, I, I guess it's just that I didn't like believe that he had anything that he wanted. You know, if, if you're looking at a good character, you can kind of define what they want. A good villain wants something. Right. And with him, his only desire seemed to be to be a jerk. You know, to, to cause as much pain to these characters as possible. And not for any specific reason, really. 
It's just, you know, oh, he is their enemy. He is pro- uh, he he's coming after them like Terminator, but just, you know, with 60s bully stereotypes. Illogical bullies make no sense to me. These people are still human, and they have to have some sort of idea of consequences. And this guy, like, threw all these kids in the basement of an abandoned house with no intent to go back and save them. That would be murder of, like, six people. And he's 16, 17? Like, uh, you have to... uh, I don't know. It's too much. (laughs) I did think it was very smart that he was the first to go, because, yeah, if, if... he was a regular character for the entire show. It would have been way too much. Um, another thing that I was a little confused by is the movie was set in the 1968, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. A lot of the kind of clothing, a lot of the technology that was using, that was being used, excuse me, felt very 80s. Halfway through the movie, I completely forgot it was 1968 when they were at the library looking through all these old pictographs. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the early 70s almost, not like mid-80s. It felt very much like they were trying to do It or Stranger Things, but in the 70s, but still have a lot of this 80s nostalgia. I don't know. And I don't know how authentic that is. I'm not a generational expert by any means, but it did not feel like 70s slash late 60s at all. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, I'm guessing the decision to do that was probably based more on the ages of the screenwriters. I think that that was kind of more in line with their childhoods. But, I mean, ultimately, like, the the books came out in, like, between 1981 and 1991. I don't know. I think the 80s would have been a smarter choice. And also, like, yeah, like, the, the people who are nostalgic for this, yeah, show their childhood more. So I didn't think that was a, the right decision. It felt like, yeah, they were trying to go for the the childhood part of it, which is funny because the, the most recent movie didn't even do that. They did the 80s. But, you know, like the book version or, or things like that, you could see that was a an influence that Guillermo del Toro was wearing on his sleeve with, with you know, how he wrote that. But it just... I don't know. Yeah, I just feel like it was kind of a missed opportunity. Definitely, especially with all of the nostalgia bombs that they were throwing with the trailer and everything else. I really do think it was a missed opportunity to lean into that and let's have a horror movie set in the early 90s. There's not a lot out there right now. You know, we have this golden age of 80s horror and kind of this weird void of the 90s. I would have loved to see that. Yeah, and part of the reason why it wasn't the right choice was the fact that it's being targeted to, I'd say more than anything else, you know, those who grew up with the books. So, you know, people our age, so people who are about 30, and that's kind of the end of the the spectrum there. And then they kind of wanted to start out with, you know, teenagers now. And so having it be set in like in the 80s or 90s would be a, a better fit for that audience. Yeah, if, if you're shooting for people who are 15 to 35, give us something that, that's a little bit closer to us, that, that we can identify with more as an audience. My last thing that I really wasn't too fond of with the movie is the ending with Stella and Sarah did feel a little happily ever after. Stella has this breakthrough that she's going to tell Sarah's story, and she's an aspiring author, and because of that one action, Sarah's pain is now all released, and it didn't fit the rest of the mood of the story. All of these other characters had these horrendous deaths, 
poor Chuck was assimilated into the Red Room Pale Lady. And Stella's just going to write a story about how terrible Sarah's life was. And now she's okay with everything and is going to stop. Like, I don't know. I didn't necessarily have a problem with that as much as I had a problem with, you know, them driving off into the distance. Oh, you know, Ramon yeah. has joined the military because he was a draft dodger, which, one, eh, no, that, that didn't really work for me that much. But yeah, so he's he's gone. There's a sort of fledgling romance between him and Stella. Stella and her father and uh, the sister character, whose name I can't remember, Chuck's sister, Ruth. They're, they're all in a van driving off into the distance and... We will find a way to get our friends back. And I don't know, it just, that was... It was silly. It was, it was a teenager show. Yeah, that, that part really, more than anything else, just didn't work for me. But, I mean, I can see how, how that they wanted to include something like that to maybe if they, if they, if there's a big demand for it, they have some room for a sequel. But, eh, it just still didn't work for me that well. So let me pose you a question then, Nathaniel. Yes. I've thought about this a lot. Well, since seeing the movie, so I don't know if a week is a lot. (laughs) Would this movie have been better as an anthology series that tied together? Like Trick or Treat or VHS? Because I think it would. I don't know, because I can see why you feel that way. But I think at the end of the day, what made the movie work as well as it did, was having some characters to root for. And so, you know, because we cared what happened to them. It wasn't perfect at that, but if I didn't care about any characters, if it was just me kind of seeing snapshot and, uh, you know, and then the next snapshot and the next snapshot of, of, you know, people experiencing these different scary stories... Even if there was kind of some subtle connecting thread or something like that, I just don't know if I would have cared. In fact, I would say like that—that's a weakness, especially of, of Trick or Treat. In, in my mind, was that I kind of didn't care about any character. I just kind of was watching how it played out. And so, with this, I at least had some investment in the characters. And so, you know, I, I didn't want bad things to happen to at least some of them. I think that's very fair. But I think I think it would be a, a fun way to continue it, like to have a a scary stories too, and it could just be yeah, an anthology film. It could just be more stories, and you know, it could just start with the book opening up, and then yeah, we get another story. I think if it was to be an anthology movie, that the stories would definitely have to take it next level and be very very horrifying and dark, mm-hmm. um, because then you're watching it not really to care about someone you're watching it to see how it's going to scare you but yeah i guess on the flip side though a lot of the stories are extremely simple like it's true it's very true especially just having read all 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 three books in the last week they are very very simple stories so should we talk about our screams and crowns sure as far as screams go for me i'm gonna give it a four i'm gonna give it a four as well it had some really great moments, but it wasn't, end of the day, very scary. It's it's a pretty tame movie. And we kind of talked about it a little earlier on. This isn't one of those movies that falls into the classic trailer ruins it in some regards. I wish I hadn't seen the trailer. I was anticipating a lot more scare, and it just didn't deliver at all. Okay, so what is your rating for Crowns? Crowns, I gave it a five. Man, that's a little harsh. 
I didn't love this movie. I thought it was a good, it's a solid Halloween party movie mm-hmm. that you throw a party and you want to throw on a good scary film that entertains people, but also you can walk away and go get some chips and then come back and feel like you haven't missed anything. I I wasn't super impressed. And I've heard, I've talked to a few people who have also seen it and it goes either way. I work with a guy who saw it and he also was very bored throughout the entire movie to the point where he was checking his phone and wanted to be distracted because he just was not engaged in the movie at all. And I've talked to another person who thought it was the best horror movie they've ever seen. (laughs) So I think it's rather polarizing in some regards. Okay, um, I'm going to give it a seven. I enjoyed it. Like, I would, I probably wouldn't necessarily go see it in the theater again, but like, I would watch it a couple more times and like not have an issue with that. And but I agree, like it, it's definitely a movie that would be very safe for a Halloween party where not everyone is super, you know, into like intense scares. And yeah, like it, it's a movie that yeah, you can walk away, go get some chips, whatever, come back, and you're not going to miss anything too or, or, or anything too intense or if you do miss something kind of critical, it takes 3 seconds to catch you back up. So, right. But, like, end of the day, though, I, I enjoyed my experience. So, a solid seven from me. Alright. So, you, Mr. Horror Author, do you want to give us kind of a recap of some of the original horror stories? Yes. Uh, so, like I mentioned, I read all three Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark books, as well as actually another one that he, uh, that Alvin Schwartz, the person who did those, did uh, for even younger audiences and yeah it it was a lot of fun it was kind of an interesting experience revisiting them so kind of to to hit some main points the movie didn't do a super amazing job in terms of like following the original content by any means i mean you know we've already addressed how it doesn't really there isn't an overarching story to them it's just a bunch of folklore pieces and, and short stories but yeah like for example with harold it's just about like two guys who work on a farm and not like about a bully and and in fact they like specifically make a scarecrow that looks like a guy that they hate named harold like a from a nearby farm or something and so then yeah they just throw things at it and that kind of stuff and then it you know eventually uh attacks them so you know fun story but like it was like two pages long. It was pretty simple. The like pale lady red room story didn't really have a red room. It was basically uh, just uh, set in like a hotel. Is this this lady kept having a dream uh, that she would be like warned away from this evil place, and then she goes to this hotel, and then you know she sees this pale lady who who you know she had seen in the dream, and then she runs away. The end. Oh, wow. That's (laughs) quite different. Yeah. The Big Toe was pretty similar, except in the original story, it was like... Actually, the Big Toe kind of pulled from two different things. Because one was, yeah, like, missing a Big Toe. But then there was also the, like, another story about a a woman. She eats her husband's dinner, and then she, like, steals the liver from a nearby body. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because they, like, live next to a mortuary or something. I don't know. So it kind of pulled some elements from both of those. I mean, yeah, all of the stories were were really in the book, you know, very bare bones uh, stories. Or, or yeah, like the the jangly man that that is Ramon's big enemy is 
kind of an amalgam of, of like two or three stories. Because there's one about like Ghoul that is saying the whatever nonsense things that the jinkly man says to him as he's approaching. And there's also like a separate story where there's a body that splits into parts and then reassembles itself. Like, yeah, they took like two or three things to, to make him. The spider story was very basic. It's just, hey, this girl got a spider bite. And then when she popped it, it was a bunch of baby spiders <laughs> at the end. <laughs> I mean, I'm making the, the book out to sound really dumb, but it's not. Like, it, they're, they're really fun stories, but they're very concise. They're very, I mean, like, you, you have to know, like, it, 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 they are books for children. And again, I think it harkens back to that these stories at least for me i heard them around a campfire at scout camp or camping with my family like they're very well developed for that type of a setting to the point punchy creep you out for a few minutes then you go get in your sleeping bag and think about it for the rest of the night you know yeah yeah and and i mean the the books are are even written in a way where it even gives you some cues uh, that you can use if you're like telling the story or reading the story to friends you know it'll it'll have in parentheses at this part lean into one of your friends and shake their shoulders and yell and then you know yeah gives you the next line of the thing yeah so you know it's it's very much intended for kids to tell these stories to each other and so that's fun again you know kind of going back to those original stories it's amazing to see how well they adapted the art uh, from the original books uh, into these characters. You know, looking at the pale lady, uh, looking at Harold, looking at zombie thing with, with the big toe story. Those are all so dead on to the original horrifying art uh, that it's just uncanny. Like, they did an amazing job with those ones. They really, really did. And for me, you know... I find it hard to not compare Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark versus Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. The art in Scary Stories, for me, is where the true horror is. You can't read these simple stories and look at these images that have been created without feeling a little unsettled. Oh, I, I, I agree 100%. Like, just looking at them, you know, and I'm almost 30 years old. <laughs> I was like, man, some of these are really messed up. Some right. of these are like... I'm kind of a little appalled that I saw some of these as a little kid. Like Agreed. Agreed. That these are in elementary school libraries. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess going along those lines, it's it's really interesting that the publisher a few years ago tried re-releasing them uh, with a different artist. And so the, the, the other artist, uh, so the original artist, I guess I should give credit where it's due, uh, is Stephen Gamel. And yeah, his art is amazing and very scary. Uh, and then the the new artist that they chose was Brett Helquist, who I uh, knew from the series of Unfortunate Events books. And he's also like you know is a is a really good artist. I love his work, especially for a series of Unfortunate Events. But I think a big part of what they did was they also like not not only did they change the art style, but they also had him kind of illustrate more mundane things from the stories as opposed to like the big scary thing and so the art was really disappointing uh so yeah when i was getting these from the libraries a couple of the ones i picked up ended up being brett helquist ones as opposed to the stephen gamel ones and it wasn't great it really took a lot of the scare out and then i had to just go and look up the original art just to kind of enjoy the experience more but like when they when they made that change, there was a huge, huge outcry about it. You know, people 
you know, I assume you know, people our age had their kids bring home the other uh, other versions, and they're like, what the crap? What is this? This isn't right. And, like, there was a, an outreach, you know, publicly uh, to the, the publishers, and so the publishers, I think, now uh, publish both editions. You know, they're both available uh, that way. You know, people can choose what what's going to be most appropriate for their children, I guess. Sure. And, and that's fair. But ultimately, end of the day, if it's not the Stephen Gamble one, it's just not worth it. <laughs> it's honestly like a fifth is scary without those. Um. So at the end of the day, after everything aside, goosebumps or scary stories to tell in the dark? That's not a fair question. <laughs> You have to pick. You have to pick. I'm not going to, and I'll, but I'll explain why. <laughs> Scary stories in, to, to tell in the dark have a bigger resonance in terms of just like I have those images forever burned into my brain, and and a few of the stories burned into my brain because you know like they're they're just mainstays. But Goosebumps is all like original content. You know, R.L. Stein does an amazing job giving new, interesting, fun stories that are, you know, a little creepy, but also just, like, really great for kids. He makes up the content. It, you know, he, he definitely plays it with, with lots of tropes and stuff, too. But the point of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark that, that Alvin Schwartz lists, and, and you know, if you're, if you're reading the book, it, you'll, you'll see that, you know, that this is his in, or in his introduction and all of the notes at the end of the book and all of that. You know, it's that he is a folklorist. He is out there collecting these stories, you know, presenting them in a, in a very concise way that, that is tweaked to make it as appropriate as possible for children. But I'd say, honestly, my reading of them, the, the most interesting stuff I got from it, uh, as an adult at least, came from the, the notes at the end of the book because he talked about like real life instances or, or you know when, when these kinds of things were showing up in newspapers. It's actually really, really fascinating to look at. So I, I would recommend people pick it up as an adult. These have a certain lasting power because they're stories that were already in the public consciousness and also the, just the art was so traumatizing to every child <laughs> of the 90s. Goosebumps is, is better in terms of being original content. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you on every single one of those points. I think that's an incredible description of the differences and kind of the intent of the two different kind of stories, honestly. Regardless of which one got you into horror, you you jumped to the other one after a certain amount of time. I read both of them. I couldn't tell you which one I read first, a Goosebumps book or, or those. I read them at the same time. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I mean, one leads to the other, and you talk like you're a horror author or something, Nathaniel. Yeah, and that I put <laughs> lots of thought and effort into this. <laughs> but I, I do want to reiterate, like, seriously, like, go pick up those books again and look at the notes in the back. It's fascinating. Like, they talked about, uh, for example, one of the stories, and, and by the way, like, there's a lot of stories that you don't remember, because there's a butt ton of stories in each one. But, like, one of the stories it was talking about, this instance where this woman is having trouble getting back to her mother who was sick in a hotel room. She gets back to this hotel and is basically, like, told, like, no, like, you're not in our registry. She's like, no, I was in this room. I, you know, talked to this doctor. And the doctor's like, no, I never talked to you. You know, it's like, oh, but my mother's sick. I brought her medicine. And they're like, nope, we don't have record of you or, or your mother. She's like, I was here hours ago what are you talking about and then she goes into the room and the room is different like it's a different color all of that and so it's 
you know, this, like, really kind of, like, eerie story, and then, you know, she never finds her mother. She doesn't know what happened to her. And then it actually, like, in the back talked about how this is, you know, based on some real-life things that, that may have happened, and specifically states that, like, it was probably that the mother was sick with something that would be, you know, cause a, a public panic, and so basically health officials probably showed up, hauled her out of there, and basically said, okay, clean everything in this room, repaint the room, pretend this woman was never here. Like, it's, it, yeah, it's better to gaslight this, this woman's daughter than it is for everyone to panic and think that the Black Plague is back or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Kind of get a lot of the backstory stuff in, in those notes. So, yeah, read it and then read the notes for each story. They're really interesting. And provide, yeah, some interesting historical context. Like, from a folklorist perspective... So cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps up about everything we had for this episode. Is there anything else you wanted to mention, Nathaniel? There is one thing. I haven't watched it yet, but there is a documentary film that recently came out called Scary Stories that is about the books, and I've heard it's really good, so that may be worth checking out as well. I think it just came out on demand, like, a couple months ago. So uh, definitely check that out. I know it has, like... Some archive footage of Alvin Schwartz talking about it. Even has like an interview with like R.L. Stein in it. That kind of stuff. So worth worth taking a peek at. Is that your sting spooky bid? I hear. Yeah, yeah, that, that works. <laughs> it, it, it's my hey. This is all of our homework. Uh, all right, I like it. Okay, so so do you have a staying spooky bit for us today? Oh, yes. Yes, duh. Yeah, I started a new show. It's on Hulu. It's called Preacher. It's got three seasons so far, and it's actually based on a fairly awesome graphic novel, which I have not read yet, but I have heard many good things about it. I've read it. Um, I've read the first one, at least. It sounds like you did not love it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so far, the show is okay. Um, it's kind of about this disillusioned kind of i don't even know if he's a war criminal i'm not quite sure what his story is um he gets possessed by the weird offspring of an angel and a demon who gives him these weird divine powers that also have very diabolical consequences Mm -hmm. i'm not quite sure if i'm hooked yet but so far i've been enjoying what i've been watching and it seems to be going in a good place so that's my bid for staying spooky i will return and report if it's worth the effort (laughs) <laughs> yeah i I've, I've been intending to check out the show because i didn't love the comic i thought it was kind of gross but i think it could work better in a in a film medium i don't know i just a lot of the side characters were just very unpleasant seems like they did a good job of adapting it and i mean as with say like the walking dead series i i certainly enjoyed the tv show more than the comics so i i'm definitely wanting to give it a try all right well i think with that we end this episode so friends please stay spooky stay spooky need even more scream kings here's our obligatory shameless social media plug follow us on twitter or instagram at scream kings pod you could also email us at scream kings podcast at gmail.com help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on itunes or by sharing a link on social media You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.